and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Steve Thompson. So Steve has just submitted his PhD at Sheffield Hallam University looking into the uses of VBT training. He also works in professional football and with diving which makes him the perfect guest today to discuss how you can use VBT and overcome practical barriers using top research. So without further ado it's time to welcome Steve onto the show. So Steve, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's fantastic to have you back on again. Hi Matt, thanks very much for having me back. Uh, loved doing it last time, so hopefully we can uh, have a good chat today. Absolutely mate, I'm looking forward to it. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Of course, yeah. So I'm a senior lecturer based at Sheffield Hallam University in the UK. Um, currently a course leader of our MSc in Strength and Conditioning Coaching. Um, and alongside the teaching side of my uh, role, I uh, sort of act as a, an early career researcher uh, who has recently just submitted uh, his PhD in low velocity profiling and its ability to predict 1RM. Um, and I also am an active coach at uh, uh, League One Football Club and uh, with our City of Sheffield Divers, which primarily uh, deals with the, those that are kind of on the cusp or in the GB setup, um, and we uh, have a couple of divers going to the commies in a, in August, which is uh, really exciting. Absolutely excellent, mate! And I, I really like the the combination between research and practice. So that's a, a great combination, um, and that means today we're going to discuss how you can overcome barriers to velocity-based training, right? So um, you can see it from the research side of things, you can see it from the, the practice. But before we get into that, can you describe what velocity-based training is and why it's important to coaches and athletes? Of course, yeah. So I see VBT as a, a multifaceted, sort of diverse and objective way of, of enhancing programming methods. Um, so really, VBT encompasses anything that, deals with the measurement of velocity um, and often it's been kind of likened to a, a, a training method but if you actually delve into what VBT can do um, there's a number of different applications that we can utilize just from the measurement of velocity um, and typically that would require or, or utilize some form of technology which might be a, a linear position transducer, a, 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 an IMU, a camera or a smartphone um, and the whole premise of VBT centers on the, uh, the inverse relationship between load and velocity. So as load increases, velocity has to decrease. Um, so, you know, analogous to kind of the force velocity relationship. Um, and, and, you know, from a research perspective, this relationship has been observed many, many times across many exercises, populations and, and different types of equipment. So we're, we're, we're relatively confident in that notion um, and because of that that's allowed research and, and practice to really delve into what's possible uh, when we do measure um, velocity and I think you know some of those things could revolve around testing so maybe profiling of athletes and um, programming and implementing some kind of velocity zone um, monitoring which might be more of a simple evaluation or, or tracking of historical data uh, with regards to velocity um, potentially some feedback which we can utilize to drive intent and competition um, auto regulation where we might sort of recalculate 1RMs and, and try to manipulate load on a regular basis um, and also method of, of fatigue management where we might implement some form of velocity loss 
um, a, a simple percentage drop in velocity as a way to uh, control the amount of volume that we perform on a on a session sessional or weekly basis. Um, and I think really the the benefit to VBT is that it's flexible and it's objective. So it's a strategy that that I think really complements um, those traditional non-flexible programming strategies such as percentage one RM. And I think as a coach, if we can implement something flexible, so a flexible programming strategy like VBT, it just gives us that extra layer of data and allows us to make more informed decisions as to what we're doing on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Um, and I think, you know, with regards to flexible programming, there's, there's many different strategies out there. We've got repetitions in, rever in, in reserve, RPE, flexible non-linear programming, AMRAPs, anything along those lines all work to help us um, sort of manipulate and auto-regulate our training prescriptions. Um, but for me, VBT is robust, it's reliable, and, and it allows us to um, get some immediate feedback that we can utilize within a session. So I think there's many benefits to, to utilizing VBT for a coach. And how, how is that then measured? Because obviously there's loads of different devices. Um, how are you going about measuring these things? Because you can't just, or you, you could potentially just look at a bar and go, oh, that was quite quick. But obviously yeah. that, that does need to be objectified. So what are the different options in terms of VBT devices? Yeah, so we've got um, linear position transducers, um, which is typically a tether-based system that would attach to the bar um, and would simply measure... Um, displacement and um and time and calculate the the speed or the velocity of the bar um and then we've got arguably a bit more um accessible types of equipment such as uh in inertial measurement units where we might it might be a wearable piece of technology that again tracks the the velocity of the barbell uh we might use a camera system that does the same sort of thing uh and and i suppose probably the more exciting option um, which has arguably the more potential is, is our smartphone device um, options as well. So applications that you can get from, from app stores, uh, they're kind of starting to, to really be developed in, in, a, in a very cool way. And uh, do they work well as well? Is that something which is as valid and reliable as, for example, the, the linear transducers? Yeah, I think so. They, they have their drawbacks from a practical perspective. Um, but in terms of the data, certainly from some of the research I've collected um, as part of my PhD, uh, they were they were there or thereabouts with the gym aware. So it, it's you know if, if you consider if you consider the price difference, um, two grand versus nine ninety nine, uh, then there are it's a benefit to those clubs that that maybe have tighter purse strings than than others and, and organisations that don't have the, the same kind of budget. So we can we can touch that a little bit later as well with potentially what what young athletes could do with uh with yeah. vbt but before we get to that obviously like you've just mentioned like two grand being one, one of the potential barriers but like what what are the barriers to using vbt in training sessions because obviously not everyone is doing it um it takes some effort maybe it takes time maybe it takes money but why would coaches then not implement this yeah, so I was really lucky um, uh, a year or so ago to undertake a piece of qualitative research 
Um, I think COVID really helped that because there was a lot of coaches that were sort of sat at home, uh, willing to talk more than maybe they would be when they're, they're very busy uh, back in in the in, in normal um, conditions. But um, off the back of that research, I was able to put together thematic analysis, and from that we were, we we kind of teased out and drew and drew out some of the the drawbacks and the barriers to implementing VBT. Um, and, and whilst they're very specific to the, the, their own environment, there were some common themes that came out. And um, some of those kind of re- related to uh, um, this idea of iPad coaching and troubleshooting. So coaches being too driven by the data, heading an iPad, or constantly having to deal with technological issues when really they should be in with their athletes. And I, and I think if you you know, if you have, if you're a single coach and you're working with 15 to 20 athletes at the same time, the last thing you want to be doing is running around like a headless chicken trying to fix gym awares or fix push bands or whatever, uh, whatever the devices that you might be using. Um, and um, with that, that well, that that became a, a bit of an issue for some of the coaches and, and kind of put them off essentially. Um, and I think the way that we would overcome something like that is potentially just to utilize VBT at the start of the session. Um, and that's something that kind of came out through my PhD and the, 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 where it ended up was we came up with a system and a, and a, an approach to profiling and one-arm prediction that allowed you to do it right at the start of the session um, that would update the, the, the daily loads or the sessional loads for that day. Um, and you could then put the technology down and you could be a coach and you could be on the gym floor and you could interact. Um, and I think that is potentially one way of getting around that issue. If you are a coach on your own and you struggle to, um, to deal with all the different types of technology going on at the same time, then put it to the start of the session and, and utilize it then and put it away. Um, I think potentially the other way of coming, coming uh, around that issue would be simple education for the athletes. So spend some time upskilling the athletes on how to use the devices, um, and that then frees you up to be to be more present on the gym floor. But you know, as we we can all appreciate, athletes maybe aren't interested, or perhaps there isn't the time to upskill them, or maybe there isn't the desire to upskill them. So again, that, that with that solution, it creates its own barriers uh, at the same time. Um, I think alongside that, then some of the other issues we had, more technical issues, were around the long, time-consuming protocols, typically reflective of load velocity profiling, and how that load velocity profile, as we know it, often rendered poor predictive uh, accuracy and 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 uh, quite a bit of predictive error. Certainly, you know, when we when we look to recalculate and repredict 1RM on a regular basis. Um, so with respect to the time-consuming protocols, there are options. Uh, so we've, we've got something called two-point method, which, which is basically we would undertake a profile based on two loads. Um, and that's great in certain exercises. That has been shown to be effective in certain exercises. You know, upper body, Smith machine-based exercises, renders pretty good predictive uh, validity. But you and I both know that those types of exercise are few and far between in practice. And when that was extended out to 
also, um, when when one RM prediction was extended out to uh, free weight low body exercises, back squat, uh, deadlift, uh, Olympic lifting, anything like that, that predictive quality then started to reduce a little bit. Um, so, one of the reasons I think for that is based around the the actual shape of the profile. So typically within load velocity profiling, we would utilize some, uh, something called a linear regression equation. And that equation would, would draw a straight line through your data points, would do some fancy calculations, and would allow you to predict whatever you wanted. Now, the issue I see with that is that lower body free weight exercise isn't actually truly linear. I actually think there is, it's, it's more of a curvilinear relationship. And I think my research and the, the very few studies out there that have utilized profiling and prediction in free weight lower body exercises shows the same sort of thing. So by nature then, applying a, a linear profile is always going to render worse predictive quality than, um, than something else. So because that relationship therefore is, isn't linear, that reduces the option of doing a two-point method because that relies on the relationship being linear. So through my own research, we kind of we developed a, a four-point method that utilized a different approach that utilized a quadratic equation. And we could then put that at the start of the session. And I think that answered some of that issue around time, cons time consumption, but it's still not great still asking an athlete to come in and do four, four loads, incremental loads at the start of a session. If you've got a group, it is still time consuming. So I think for me, where I would like to see that develop is utilizing somewhere that I plan to go with the research is to try and utilize that model. Um, but use just one load So ask an athlete to come in, lift one load within their warm up for that key exercise stick that into the equation, recalculate the 1RM, recalculate the working loads for that day, put the technology away, and let's lift and let's coach. Um, that's, the, that's the end, that's the, the kind of the dream for me, if you will. Um, but that's, that's yet to be uh, sort of researched, and, and I'm hoping I'll be able to do that in the next, in the next short while. I think that'd be, um, that'd be super interesting, right? Like a lot of coaches can benefit from, from that information, just... Uh, yeah, in your warm up, one lift, you got your your linear transducer or your telephone or whatever, and uh, all of a sudden you know how to adjust your weights for the day, whether it needs to be uh, yeah adding a couple of kilos or reducing a couple of kilos. Yeah, that's it. I think it'd be really really useful, um, and you know, there's there's other options out there for coaches to to adjust load. It doesn't have to be that immersive, and it doesn't have to be that individualized. You know, we have lots of different options with regards to normative data from research we've got you know uh, brian mann's zone system that we'll all have seen at some point if we have an interest in vbt um, we can utilize historical data we can we can do sort of crude and, and easy methods to still implement vbt and still uh, get some form of uh, auto regulation off the back of it but with that comes less validity and less individualization so i think if we have the option of of predicting one rm or re-predicting one rm we should do it but it obviously has to fit in with uh with the environment that the coach is working within um 
and I think kind of the final issue for me then with regards to uh, the predictive error comes around the that typically these models utilize what's known as the V1RM as their extrapolation point. V1RM basically rely, relates to the velocity at somebody's maximal load in a given lift. And what we often see when we predict is we might do a, a three, four, five point profile up to 80, 90%, and then we'll extrapolate down based on that velocity to figure out where our 1RM is for that day. And the issue I have with that is that the V1RM is extremely unreliable, certainly in free weight exercises. And if it's unreliable, we're not going to get a strong prediction. So from my perspective, we should be predicting something earlier in the protocol. So 80%, 85%. And then simply once we've got that load, we extrapolate down to 1RM. And that is a much more robust method, in my opinion, for predicting uh, an individual's daily maximal load. Um, and that's, like I said, that's something that's that's within my research that I'd be happy to, to share with, with whoever's interested. Absolutely fantastic, mate. So in terms of those barriers, right, you've, you've mentioned a few things and how to overcome it. Um, yeah. are, there, are there any other things which coaches might see as like, uh, yeah, a big, a big bump in the road? Um, or are those the, the key things which you think, okay, well, once we've solved these issues, then at least we can get to work? Yeah, I think there's probably some, some, some smaller stuff, um, more around maybe logistics. Um, accessibility to technology was something that came up in those interviews. You know, you might have a, an organization that's trying to share three or four devices and they might have simultaneous sessions going on with a number of different athletes and it's, it becomes a bit of a, a bidding wall as to who gets access to those, those pieces of equipment. Um, and, and if you are an organization that doesn't have loose purse strings, then that becomes challenging in itself. Um, and I think one of the other issues that came out was, was more around athlete mentality and their desire to chase a particular velocity. So one of the absolute brilliant benefits of VBT, in my opinion, is that feedback that instantaneous feedback and that drive of intent and, and healthy competition with oneself and with teammates and athletes that that person might train with. But when that competition goes a little bit too far, you might have athletes that are chasing velocities and might compromise technically in order to cheat the system, if you will, and, and, and drive a little bit faster and get that little bit of a higher number. Um, Sounds simple, but it's something that happens. It's quite common. And I think that's where, as a coach, you have to be very present and you have to make sure that your your athletes understand and are educated in technical proficiency. And you then need to be on hand to say, you know, that rep doesn't count because of this, you know, because of X, Y, and Z. And I think that's where being a coach is really, really important and complements VBT and the data and the, the objective nature of it. Absolutely excellent, mate. So that brings us quite nicely onto what the best practice is, because obviously you've, you've just kind of outlined uh, how you could be doing that as a coach. So when it comes to implementing velocity-based training, what should coaches be doing? Like what's the, what's the gold standard if everything um, if you've got everything possible, the, the logistics, for example, you just mentioned, let's say you've got a hundred thousand uh, devices, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> um, what 
should coaches be doing if all of those barriers can be overcome? Yeah, I think I think even even overcoming those particular barriers you've got, unlimited time, unlimited access, unlimited money, I still think the answer to that question is difficult because best practice is, is kind of in the eye of the beholder. And you know, I actually put a tweet out the other day in response to uh, something I saw on Twitter that said, wouldn't it be great if organizations within S&C and sports science put, you know, wrote more articles and blogs about their interpretation of best practice in certain environments, in certain settings? Because I, I do think it's really dictated by who's in, who's in place and who's, who's leading up that program. You know, so using VBC as an example, I could say that best practice is fully integrated VBT system that involves multiple individualized profiles, um, in-session feedback, set-by-set load manipulation based on individualized recalculating of 1RM, volume control using velocity loss, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're a coach who's working with a squad of 15 and you only have 45 minutes with them, that can't be best practice for you because it won't work. So in that instance, best practice for you might be using a generalized zone system that the athletes themselves can come in and say, right, today we're working within this zone, make sure the load on the bar represents that zone, that velocity zone, and allows you to work within that zone for these for this volume or until you hit this volume loss, and then you move on. And I think all we can do as researchers and all we can do as um advocates of VBT is give people options uh, and you know there's a spectrum of things that we can do and, and I think genuinely if a coach does something objective quantifiable and attempts to create some form of flexible programming that hopefully will um, account for someone's physiological status their readiness to train and if that manipulates something, great. If it doesn't, then then fine. But I think if they can do something that, that just gives them that extra little layer of data to be confident in those decisions, then I would always advocate that. And I genuinely think VBT is the best way of doing it from what's out there at the moment. Yes, of course, I am biased, but I'm yet to come across anything else that has the robustness of VBT with respect to that, um, that sense checking. So when we when we then look to take that from like an, an optimal scenario, the best practice or like best practice within the the uh, setting which any coach might be in, and we we try to then put that in the context of uh, let's say youth athletes. Firstly, do the youth athletes need this kind of equipment? Um, and if they do, how can how could someone without a coach or without like a, a huge organization behind them start to implement some of this? type of training in order to get the best out of their gym training um yeah i think to answer your first question do they need it i again i think that's that depends on the person in front of you i think if they've got a really small training age new to the gym then for me get them consistently training get them consistently moving well um intent to lift, intent to get stronger and spend some time with them, coaching them on and educating them on appropriate 
practices if if possible you know if, if they have access if they don't necessarily have access to that coach i still think a young athlete can do that it might just need that uh, their own sort of drive to, to be able to to have that consistency um i think dbt is great for young athletes because it does give them feedback it gives them feedback on whether a rep was good or not and allows them to troubleshoot you know if a velocity was down for some reason but they're fresh then maybe Maybe it was a technical issue, and can they pinpoint what that technical issue was? Can they film themselves and figure it out? Um, but I think uh, there's a lot to be said for right time, right place with with stuff like this. And VBT can complicate things. It can it can cloud your mind with data. You, as I mentioned, you can chase velocities and all those kinds of things. So I do think it's a bit of an it depends answer to that question. Um, but if that particular athlete decides, yes, VBT is for me. I want to utilize it, but I haven't got a coach. I haven't got an organization behind me. I don't have access to gym awares or push bands. Then, as I mentioned right at the start, I think smartphone technology is, the, is, is where it's at at the moment. And I think there are, there's a couple of really cool apps out there. There's MyLift, uh, which has been around for a while, which has some research behind it and has shown to be pretty valid and, and reliable. Um, and there's also a new app, which is, which is a free app called Metric, um, which has sort of been doing the rounds on social media a little bit as of late. And that's that's got some really cool features, um, things such as range of motion tracking that, you know, some of that additional information that for a young coach, uh, sorry, a young athlete could be really useful uh, in just, as I mentioned, deciphering why a particular rep didn't feel as good as it as it should have done or as the previous rep. Um, so I think the the, the cost and the, the, the price of uh, smartphone technology it is really attractive for young athletes that maybe want to delve into VBT a little bit. Um, yeah. I think that's a, that's a fantastic answer. I think when you, when you make it um, accessible to generations who are very phone oriented and technology oriented, then yeah, removing that high price tag and uh, piece of equipment and replacing it with what's literally in your hand anyway, the whole time. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic solution. So it's really interesting to hear that those devices can be readily used and actually in some cases be just as good as uh, as a really expensive piece of equipment, um, yeah. especially when it's a, a single individual, right? Because those things, I can imagine the logistics of them uh, cost more time for an individual. But if you're training by yourself anyway, or maybe with a, a training partner as opposed to a team, then that's not necessarily a big issue. So... Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's a really interesting uh, little insight into how athletes could do that. And then when it comes to sports, are there any particular sports which benefit or is this just kind of a, every athlete in every sport could, could be uh, profiting from this? Yeah, I think, I think again, in the right setting, any, anybody can benefit from VBT because it's, it's very general. It's based on a, a physiological principle that if you lift weights as to get better at your sport, it's going to be applicable. Um, I suppose if you think of like sort of the two ends of the spectrum, you've got powerlifting, which their their sport, their job is to lift weights. You can get really immersive and really integrated into how VBT can can assist, and you know you can fully individualize it because they are individual athletes anyway. You can become really immersed in the the way that that data can help you dictate your programming on a regular basis. Um, but I think on the other end of the spectrum, it, it is more the, 
the multifaceted sports such as team sports where fatigue management becomes really important and you know you think about the the kind of the the argument that one rm fluctuates by x amount on a daily basis which i do think is true certainly in those environments where you've got on-field um training you've got competition on a weekly or uh you know twice a week basis you've got travel you might have other confounding variables such as sleep nutrition all playing a factor you're never going to get your athletes coming in in the exact same status readiness to train um sort of status session on session so i think vbt can therefore allow the coach to be flexible with that prescription and can help them really manage the fatigue buildup or even some of the psychological factors of coming in and not wanting to lift for that day. And maybe that's teased out from, from VET and that can be a, a way of adjusting uh, programming and prescription. Um, and, and again, it is back, it's, it's down to time. How much time does the coach have to, um, to recalculate 1RMs or is it just a simple zone system and is it just some velocity loss that can be implemented in that team sport environment that still has a positive impact on, on the athlete. Um, so yeah, any athlete can do it. Um, and for me, one of the biggest benefits, and, I, and we've had this conversation, Matt, and I've had conversations with other coaches about this, that the, the intent and motivation that feedback from VBT can drive is really powerful, really valuable, um, and, and is something that requires much more research, to be honest. I think it's something that is an untapped market with VBT and the impact that simple um, audio or visual feedback can, can provide for an athlete. Absolutely excellent, mate. So, Steve, massive thanks for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking, really interesting, and uh, I look forward to speaking again soon. Thanks very much, Matt. Thanks for having me back on. Really, really enjoyed it. Pleasure, buddy. Cheers. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Steve for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. The Coach Academy has a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more info on strength conditioning, get yourself in there and you can do that completely free using the link in the show notes. So click that link in just a few seconds time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would be fantastic if you can give us a like and a share and a recommendation to a fellow coach, a colleague, an athlete, or even a friend. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me, I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.